This is David Wilson and welcome to episode 23 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. On Another Track is speaking with people we can't meet with face to face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. What I'm finding is I've had about 700 downloads. What people say is that the average podcast probably gets about 35 people that listen to it. But what somebody explained was if that's 35 people you've got in a room and you're talking to them personally, you'd be pretty happy. Well, it was quite torturous, actually. I don't know how they get it done. I mean, I'm efficient. I am who I am. I'm, you know, yeah, what you see is what you get. That's the voice of Vanessa Tai, specialist expat pension advisor here in Canada for Chase Buchanan. I first met Vanessa when I was trying to research my pensions in the UK, and it proved to be really troublesome. Vanessa is perfectly positioned to help you navigate the murky waters of the UK investment and pension system. As a professional wealth advisor, both in the UK and Canada, she's uniquely qualified to provide investment advice to British expats. And even better, she's an expat herself, so she knows and understands how difficult and confusing it can be. So if you've ever had a UK employer, lost track of your pension, Vanessa has to be an ex-call. I started first by asking what Vanessa's job entails. In a nutshell, not an easy one, but here you go. So I work exclusively with expats, British nationals predominantly, um, people that have left the UK, they have come to Canada, and they have left their pension behind in the UK. And it's probably a bit unloved. They probably get a statement every uh, 12 months or so from their pension provider. They take a peek at it. Um, They look at it, they think, oh, it's not doing so well, or it's maybe doing great. And then they think, I'll I'll look into it. And they don't. They put it in a drawer. And then years go by. And then someone like me reaches out to them and says, hey, what are you doing with your pension? And they they say, oh, I'm I'm not really doing anything with it. It's a bit dormant right now. What, What can you do to help? And that's where I step in and tell them about what I can do to help them manage that money better. So what are some of the biggest challenges you come across? And what are some of the questions that people ask? I think the first thing that um, people should ask, um, not everybody does, is, you know, who am I and am I actually licensed to actually give advice in Canada? I think that should be number one question for anyone that is approached um, by by somebody like myself, Um, because there are a lot of people that aren't based in Canada, shouldn't be giving advice to people in Canada. And it's really hard to find that out. And and I know, and I'm going to tell you a little story here. I came to Canada, has, I was an IFA, an independent financial advisor in the UK. Um, I sold myself my own pension, so I knew exactly what I'd got. I came to Canada and I could do nothing with them. I couldn't bring them into Canada because the rules state that unless you're 55, you, you can't bring money into Canada as a pension currently. Um, and I retrained on this side. I became IROC licensed. I was working with the discretionary portfolio manager. So I understood the landscape here in Canada as well. And I still couldn't do anything with my UK pensions. So I reached out to a couple of colleagues and said, look, can you help me, you know, on the down low, help me do anything with these pensions? And they're like, no, we're not regulated. We can't do it. You're not here. Um, You know, no, it it just can't be done. So here I am qualified on two sides of the Atlantic and my own pension is frozen. 
So I start reaching out and doing my due diligence with various companies that offer the same kind of service. And cut a long story short, having vetted most of them, my tingly senses were not happy. And I found Chase Buchanan. I actually became a client of Chase Buchanan prior to working for them. So I eat my own cooking. So that's a bit of a story there. Um, But more importantly, I'd like to get a little pitch in because we've actually worked with the Cyber Crimes Unit at the Metropolitan Police recently, and we've put a brochure together. Um, It's called the Little Book of Investment Scams, and it's to actually try and raise awareness of problems that expats may actually bump into, not just for pensions, but other types of scams that are out there. Um, and I think it's a, a quite a good trust indicator because obviously the Met wouldn't work with Chase Buchanan. Our logo is actually on their website as well. Um, and I have that booklet. So if anyone's listening to this and wants to reach out to either you or me and, and get a copy of that, I'd be more than happy to, to send it on. But yeah, that would be the first thing I would say. Um, make sure that who you're talking to is actually capable, licensed and considerate of, of being in this country. Yeah, that's that's really great advice. Two things I just want to mention. First of all, we'll put a link for the booklet at the end of the podcast. So make sure people can just click on that and it, it's downloadable from that link, which will do it. But, you know, you brought up some excellent points because I know when I was first thinking about looking at my pensions, um, you know, you approach naturally the local institutions here in Canada, you know, the big banks, the, the RBCs, the CIBCs, the, you know, the ones that you think, OK, I can trust them. I've already got some investments with them. And they basically, it's just like tumbleweed rolling down the road. They just steer well clear. They have no advice they can give. They can't even direct you anywhere. And you do feel like you're on a desert island, you know. So um, you did make some really interesting points about trust and about being able to sort of trust people that approach you. Now, to be fair to the listeners, that's always very difficult for you, isn't it? Because sometimes you have to reach out to people. Uh, you know, they don't know you. And that's the first kind of no-no almost. You know, don't sort of accept a call from somebody off of, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn. And you think, oh, they, you know, a big alarm bell should be going. But how do you garner people's confidence? I mean, you did mention about the booklet. But what other ways can you give them confidence that you're legit? You're the real thing. So, yeah, it is hard. And I think the first thing in the scam leaflet that you'll be sent by any pension advisor would be, you know, if you're approached cold or through LinkedIn, exactly all the methods that you state. Um, I mean, for me, what I do is I have a conversation much the same as this with clients. I send out an initial email um, which gives them links so that they can check out who we are. I attach that brochure from the Met. I can offer referrals. I have got clients that will actually jump on a call. Um, everybody's busy. I'm aware of that. So I, I you know, I have to I try and match the province to the client and try and respond be respectful of everyone's time but that is something I can do. Chase Buchanan has an excellent website so you can actually go there and pick up a lot of um, download a lot of materials as well. Um, Yeah I think word of mouth referrals um, I do a lot of business with people that recommend people so it kind of grows that way but yes I do reach out cold and I think you just need to do your due diligence. Do a zoom call look that person in the eye you know, see who they are, get the measure of them. You know, I used to travel around the country doing it, but we can't do that with COVID. So I can't sit down next to people. It is a trust exercise. You need to do your homework. And as long as the person you're talking to is not hiding anything, I mean, there is full disclosure as the process develops. There's a report written. Charges are fully disclosed. Clients need to understand what those charges are. And I would go through them with them, often up front and tell them what it's going to be, because sometimes you know, you don't want to waste anyone's time. If I tell them how much it's going to cost to do business and they say, well, you know, I don't really like the sound of that, then there's no point 
you know, moving forward. So I'm, I'm very straightforward. I can't speak to people. David's a client, so he's actually been through it as well, um, through the process. And it's not for the faint of heart. I think David will confirm that. Absolutely. Uh, um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You hear a, a, a lot of life officers will throw up a lot of negative information, um, incorrect information. And it is a case of, of working with your advisor to go through with that. And if at any point you're not comfortable by the process, it is without obligation and fee. Just Just say no. Enough is enough. Just draw a line under it. I have to say, you know, again, um, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do the podcast, because our experience of working with you was very, very positive. You know, we, we did have the kind of funny tickle in the stomach thing. And, oh, you know, is this legit and everything? And we did our due diligence and, you know, we checked out Chase Buchanan and legitimate company. And, you know, you've got your LinkedIn profile so people can go and check that out. And it shows all your kind of, you know, where you've worked before and, and all the qualifications. But I have to say what was really interesting about working with you, Vanessa, and I'll say this totally from the heart is it it was a good process and you've got a great bedside manner you've got an understanding of how people worry about things and they're not sure about things and I think because you speak that language you are the interpreter you are the person that grabs their hand and takes them on that journey and I have to say that journey was very constructive and you did you know the other thing I loved about it was you were very upfront about things here's the cost here's what the process is going to be like it's not going to be a sprint as you said it's not (laughs) going to be something you're going to have the money tomorrow if you want to try and get some money out of your pension, it's going to be two, three, four, maybe six months because you're dealing with different entities in the UK. And, you know, with COVID and everything gets extended and communication lines get extended. So I have to say, yeah, absolutely. I'm not being paid for this in any way because I'm obviously interviewing you for my podcast series. But I just wanted to get you out there because I think there's so many hundred thousand people, you know, expats especially, who can benefit from this. And I think if we broadcast around the world, at least some of those will get to hear about this story and, and hopefully reach out to you, which is the important thing. Yeah. Um, if, if I was going to say, and again, let's stay with, tell you, stay with the scams, because I think this is really important. What are the top three scams that you do see from your experience as being an advisor, legitimate advisor, that people just have to be wary of? What would be the top three in the list? Well, you kind of picked up on one yourself there in your statement, and I was pleased you've given me the opportunity to answer because I was actually going to kind of make sure that something you said was clear. So you actually mentioned taking money out of your pension. You are actually, you qualify um, without giving anything away to take money out of your pension. And there are certain certain rules that you have to abide by, age age limit being predominantly mm-hmm. the, the most important factor. If there is anyone telling you that you can access money from your pension fund, you need to be a specific age to actually um, access, to take money out of your pension, which is 55. You have to be 55 years to, to take tax-free cash out of a pension. So if anyone's saying to you, transfer your pension or move your pensions, and you're not over 55 and they're promising you a cash out pay, there is something definitely wrong with what you were being told on that basis. Number two is charges. There are lots of ways advisors can actually hide charges. As I say, I produce a report and it's all in there. Things we've seen in the past is, particularly with defined benefit plans, if they've if reports have been written by advisors, they recommend low-cost portfolios, if you like, or portfolios without commission structures in there. And then when they actually invest the money, they actually put a lot of expensive funds behind the scenes. So you get caught. Unfortunately, if you've got to that point in time and you've not covered that, then it's a bit too late. You know, you, you, you've kind of like lost control of the situation. So you need to be very clear at the at the beginning, you know, what are the charges um, and specifically. And I, I always do like an idiot guy because the, the letter that I send out or the report that I send out is is like 12 pages of, you know, 
it, it makes total sense to me, but for the layman in the street that's not living and breathing what I do every day, it's, it's not straightforward. So I often, in real English, this is what it means. And I just break down exactly what those costs are in pound, shilling and pence, showing my age there. Uh, yeah, I know that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, just make it very obvious because when you get cancellation notices through, when you get life offices saying, can you confirm you know what the charges are before we make the transfers? You know, there is a process where the two trustees involved in this equation have to make sure that they're looking after the best interest of the client. And those questions are going to come up. So I'd rather get those out in the open right at the very beginning than have, you know, me submit a lot of paperwork, spend a lot of time. It's very detailed work, time consuming, and then have it fall down flat because I haven't made myself clear. So to answer your question about scams, make sure you cover the charges. Make sure you're not being made any crazy promises about performance costs you know you don't want to be investing in a golf course in Mauritius that you know might be underwater in the next couple of years Absolutely. um you know just be very careful of that they're the two main ones the, the main ones yeah again it's all about trusting your instinct isn't it if it doesn't feel right if somebody's promising and over promising like right at the start be very wary of that you know yeah. that's the important thing and i think that it? i think that works both ways i call it the mum test um, or the mum test as i would say mm -hmm. and that is you know every i put every client in the same position i think if this were my parents or me personally um you know i'm probably not the best because my attitude to risk for investment my appetite might be higher than most clients mm -hmm. because i understand it but if, if if this was my parents money what would i do with it and for me, actually doing reviews with clients and having to see investments go down, we all know they go down and they go up, but that's not a comfortable place for me to be either. So I need, I want my clients to be sleeping at night and if they're sleeping at night, I'm sleeping at night. So everybody's happy. The mom test really works. <laughs> yeah, and I, I totally agree with the sleeping in bed at night. You know, I you have a clear conscience as well. Exactly. And that, that really helps. Okay, we've, we've talked about the scams. What are the positive things, though, about doing business with somebody like yourself? You, you alluded to it slightly at, right at the start of the podcast, but can we get into a bit more detail? Because I know that we had some roadblocks while we were doing our business, and, and it really was something like, where do I start? Well, you knew immediately. Uh, so can I explain some of the practical things you can do? Yeah, so I mean, I meet a lot of people that have got more than one pension pot in the UK. They've over time, particularly if they've been employed after 2008, where it became compulsory for employers to actually offer pensions to clients. It's not like it used to be. We don't have jobs for 20, 30, 40 years anymore. We're all mobile. You know, we might do two years here, three years there. And we end up with different pension pots all over the place. So when somebody comes to actually reach retirement age and they want to start accessing that pension, they find they've got all these different pots of money that they've probably not managed very well or if at all. And all of a sudden it's, OK, how do I actually get this money out of these pensions to actually spend it? You know, I've put it in. What do I do with it now? And now all of a sudden they're dealing with five plus pension providers you can speak from experience, David. They're not the easiest yeah. to deal with. I always no. thought they, uh, they, they saved their, uh, if you like, their awkwardness for advisors. But it seems when they deal direct with clients, they're equally as belligerent. So uh, that mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't help at all. But all of a sudden, you're dealing with five different pots of money, five different advisors. And not only that, you're assuming that you've got the men mental acuity to actually be able to do it at that point in time. You know, we don't know what our health's going to be um, when we reach 60, 65 or whatever age it is. So my real value add for clients is actually picking up all of those pension pots and consolidating them into one place 
which does two things. A, it streamlines administration. I don't know about you, but I've moved quite a few times since I've lived in Canada. And every time I move, I have to write to like four different advisors, or I did have to, different pension people to let them know I'd moved. So you're now dealing with one advisor. That advisor is on the same piece of grass as you. So we're actually in the same time zones, give or take the four and a half time zones across Canada. Um, but more importantly, you've got the benefit of compounding because they're all in one place. It can be cheaper because you're paying fees, whether you know it or not, where you are in the UK. You know, they're not managing your money for free. And on top of that, you've got only one trustee when you actually want to take the income out. So it's just one conversation, much easier, much more streamlined. And hopefully the growth will be better as well than what you're getting right now. So that's I think that's the big takeaway, getting it into one pot so you can manage it and access it. And again, you're hitting a really great point. Having somebody on the same piece of turf as you, that's the, that to me was the, the, that was a no brainer because, you know, we, I've been approached from people from the UK, perfectly nice and we'll deal with everything over there, but you have this kind of gap, you know, the physical gap, the time gaps. And what's lovely about it is if I was ever worried about something, I literally could pick the phone up or WhatsApp you and say, hey, Vanessa, what's going, you know, do, how do I deal with these guys? You know, leave it with me. And it was lovely. That kind of reassurance is really helpful. And like you say, it's the mental acumen as well to try and deal with these things. But when you try and get your head around money and how it works in the money markets internationally, as well as the UK and Canada, it's a mind blower. Like I have to take a day off work just to recover. You know, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's not easy. They don't make it easy. No, they don't. No. Um, one quick question I do have, and I think this might apply to a lot of British expats as well, is that we have a state earnings related pension in the UK. That's one that we pay as we go along as we earn or pay as you earn. Um, can you tell us some lots of bits of advice about that? Because you gave me some quite good advice about that. And I think you do a booklet or a little kind of email about that, don't you? That people need to be aware of that as well. Yeah. This is the state pension, is it we're talking about? Yeah, here, the state pension yeah. one, the one so, you know, pay as you earn. Yeah. The state pension in the UK, uh, you qualify for at 67 unless you're born before a certain date right now. And um, the big takeaway that you need to know is when you actually do take that pension, um, it's no, it's not index linked. So it becomes a flat pension. Um, so that's the same for Australia and the UK. The pension's not index linked. So you need to think carefully about whether you want to take that pension or whether you want to defer it. It's a bit like your CPP and your OAS over here in Canada. You can defer those as well and you get an enhanced payment when you do that. It's not something I can help with specifically. I do have a nice little PDF, as, as David's mentioned, that I can send out to clients so they can actually have a look at it and they can you can actually log in. If you've got a current UK passport and you've got your national insurance number, you can create an account on the HMRC website. It takes about five minutes, super easy, super friendly. They verify you against the passport database and then they tell you what your entitlement is to your UK pension. And you should do that and you should know that. And then whether you decide you want to defer it or claim it will largely depend on your health position, your tax position, your need for the income. They're things that you know you need to consider moving forward. I know a lot of people ask me about topping up their, um, their state pension as well. Again, it's not something I can give advice on because everyone's different, but I mean, what you've got to remember is you're going to be paying in Canadian dollars for a benefit that's coming out in British pounds. So it's a costly exercise for you to actually top it up as well, um, particularly when you're paying like 1.7 more to actually do it. And then yeah. bear in mind that it's not index linked when you take it. You know, it's I'm sure somebody could produce a spreadsheet somewhere that would, you know, find out at what point it was worth paying and what point it wasn't. But, you know, you will have been crewing earnings on this side in CPP and OAS. So, you, you know, maybe just 
for most people take what you've got on that side and then you built it up on this side in Canada as well. Yeah, and you, you again, you made a very good point there that do check about your contributions because if you've left the UK before you've paid a kind of minimum in, you know, maybe you've left, say, 10 years ago, you've paid maybe... It's 10 years. Yeah, maybe maybe you've, um, you know, you've still got maybe three, four, five years to pay into that that could enhance it slightly then that's worthwhile doing that account, isn't it? Setting it up, going checking. If you've got a couple more years of payment, set it up. Because it's not very much per month. I think it's like £5 a week or something like that, or £20 a month. It's it's actually not bad. Yeah, it is a small amount. I, know, I might be off with the figures there, so don't quote me. But I know that it was very little to actually top your pension up there and uh, pay as you earn. Yeah, yeah. You're halfway through listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week is Vanessa Tai, Specialist Expat Pension Advisor and Regional Manager for Chase Buchanan. Next, I want to ask Vanessa a little bit about her background and her history in the UK and where her culture came from and also how easy is it to get into the financial services industry here in Canada. So I'm actually born in Northamptonshire, um, so kind of northish, but not not too far north. Yeah. Um, the Midlands, probably more than anything. And um, yeah, I, my background is actually biochemistry. That's where I actually started off, completely on a pivot from here. And um, yeah, so I was uh, I was doing the whole biochemistry thing and working in the laboratory at Northampton General Hospital. But um, I was stuck down in a lab and I'm, I'm a people person. I'm like you, David. And I was like, yeah. you know, do I really want to finish this course that they were sponsoring me to do? Um, and then know that really my heart's not in it. And I decided no. So I did a pivot and I actually went into retail, believe it or not. Right. And yeah. um, did my did my stint at retail management. Um, I ended up managing a couple of, I don't know if you remember those little like box stores like Tyrac and Sock Shop. And, oh, yes. Remember them uh, well. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I was with Knickerbox. Ah, and right. um, yeah, I ran a couple of branches for them. And again, still really wasn't doing it. I wasn't connecting with people on a one-to-one basis. And I thought, you know, do I want to be there or do I actually want to create a career out of something where I could be useful? And that was the point I decided financial services was it for me. So like most people, when they start out in the industry, they start with a company, just one company. They represent one one company. And for me, that was Confederation Life, who were now Sun Life of Canada, which a lot of us have heard of. And... Um, I did my stint there. And again, it doesn't take you long before you realize that you really do need to be independent to give advice across the board. You know, it's not it's not the best thing for just give to give advice based on one set of products. So I, I jumped through those hoops and um, I've worked my way through the building societies with Skipton Building Society. Um, I yeah. then yeah went on to Lloyd's Bank Insurance Services and Lloyd's Private Banking. And then I thought, you know what, I've actually got enough skills now to actually be doing this on my own. So I actually did. I set up my own business and uh, I did that until 2000 when I decided that it might be time to have a family. <laughs> wow, gosh. But, you know, the great thing about the financial service industry is that you can have a family and mold the job around your family as well. It's 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 amazing kind of an industry, isn't it? It's very adaptable. It is. It is very adaptable. And I think, you know, with COVID, one of the things that has come out of it, I think more people will be home based. Um, people will be more flexible with their time and their understanding. And I think Zoom is the new is the new thing. You know, you can actually, it's more productive. A lot of people, particularly me, I can get a lot more done. I can cover a lot, a, a bigger area in a faster amount of time. 
do reviews on a more regular basis with clients than I would ordinarily if I'd actually got to get on a plane or get in a car or I'm on Vancouver Island, so I have to actually even get on a ferry to before I can even get anywhere. <laughs> but um, you can go around the world with this, can't you? It's an amazing medium, exactly. isn't it? It really is. Hey, I just wanted to ask you a bit more question. And again, I'd love to delve a little bit into the family. I hope you don't mind me asking about your cultural background and where, you know, your family came from and the history there, because I always find that's a great story to hit listen to, you know. So tell us a little bit about family and loads of brothers and sisters or you know exotic background my mother is actually from trinidad in the west indies so um she came over to the uk when she was about 18 um she was a nurse and worked her way up through that met my dad when he was working in the hospital and uh, the rest is history so to speak i've got two gorgeous brothers both younger than me and uh they're both still in the uk it's only me that's here um, I don't know what else I can tell yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's there's some serendipity there as well, isn't it? Because your mum came over from Trinidad, and actually, I've got a couple of friends that came from Trinidad and Tobago in the 1950s, and they said that yeah, one came as a nurse and one came as a as a teacher. Yeah, they were. I think they were calling out for the skills. So uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And look at you! Think. Like your mum travelled <laughs> across the Atlantic to get to the UK, then set her life up, and you've travelled back across. I yeah? know, I know. I don't think she's ever forgiven me for that, really. <laughs> No, and, and that's fair enough. So in terms of your life then, and obviously you, Northampton, quite an interesting sort of Midlands to North North Midlands area. What were some of the challenges when you were growing up? Some of the cultural challenges, do you remember them? Oh, no, I mean, I think school seems like such a long time ago and so different from, from how it is now for kids. But um, no, I mean, I was I didn't have a private education. I was um, I managed to leave school with something like thirteen O levels and four A levels. You beat me. So I don't even know how you. <laughs> I don't even know how you managed to do that in this yeah. day and age. Um, but yeah, I did. And um, when I got married, we lived out in um, in Rutland, okay, um, yeah. in a little place called Coldycott, and then we quickly moved down to Somerset. So I think I've always oh. kind of like had that. Yeah, Somerset yeah. and Dorset and Wiltshire. Oh, my old stomping ground. Yeah. 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 Whereabouts so, in Somerset? So I lived um, in a little place called Pencelwood, which was the first place I lived, which is in Somerset, which is right. near, I think Shaftesbury would probably be the nearest town between Shaftesbury and Salisbury somewhere there. Well, no, not Salisbury, but Shaftesbury. Uh, so I guess I've always wanted to travel and, and move. I mean, we moved from Northamptonshire down there and then from there across to Canada. So never saw ourselves staying in, in, in the UK, I don't think. Okay, so so we got the kind of family background. What brought you to Canada? What was the motivation to come to Canada? When did you come over? Came over in 2011. I think, as I said, I never thought we'd stay in the UK. I guess my mum had made that journey, so it's kind of possibly in my blood. I don't know. I, I think we loved New Zealand, but it just seems such a long way away for people to attend. We travel quite a lot there and we travel quite a lot in Canada we ended up in Victoria simply because my husband's mother knew somebody that lived here and uh, she'd moved back to the UK for a while and we found out how beautiful the island was and we thought, well, we've got to stick a pin in it somewhere, right? So uh, yeah. why not Why not go to Victoria? But the kids were at an age where it, it, the timing was right. If we didn't move them at that point in time, I think it, it gets selfish if you, you know, you've know you got to move your kids before they reach 10 and they start making those bonds. So we, we decided that we'd put the house on the market we said we'll give it six months if it sells we'll go if it doesn't we won't it was as simple as that and um we're kind of you know we'd rather try and fail than not try at all and regret so 
that's a great a great adage there because I, we were very much the same you know it was a case of let's put the house up you know we did the recce trip out in may of i think it was 2009 and you know we said we'll head for you know december get here and see what happens december the 12th we arrived minus 52 celsius <laughs> i mean i never experienced temperatures like that in my life and you know my kids always laugh when i bring this up you know and i had never had the sensation of my nose hair freezing as you come out the airport at calgary airport and I thought, okay, welcome to Alberta or welcome to Canada. Yeah, well, I, I can remember doing that in um, in Jasper, and uh, same thing. You know, you could you just couldn't get your breath because it was just so cold um, when we were traveling around. So, tell me, when you arrived in Canada in Victoria, was it easy to find work? Or was it something you found was relatively easy to to get back into the you know the the groove with the financial services, or did you kind of pivot a little bit first when you came over? Well, there's another story that really there because um, I didn't actually look to to really get back into the employment market when I when I came here. I thought you know the kids were six and eight, let's get established, let's give it some time. Um, and it was actually my advisor at Chase Buchanan, <laughs> who, when I was working with him, oh, well, I'd met him a while before, I'd, I'd known him from the UK, and he sort of said to me, you know, you should get back into the industry. And um, I, did, I did think about it, and I thought, you know what, let's put a couple of resumes together and see what happens. And I did, and lo and behold, I, I had like RBC to name one, and um, CIBC Wood Gundy to name another, um, both pick up the phone and say, yay, can you come in and see us? And obviously I have the knowledge from the UK, so it was just a case of requalifying. There's a lot of exams you have to actually go through to actually get to the point of being uh, IRAT registered or IRAT licensed. But it, it was easier because I, I, I'd already got the fundamentals in place. It's just learning how it applies to Canada. And I think, you know, anyone that wants to work in the financial services industry, you know, it's a great industry. There's a lot of it in Victoria. <laughs> I think doing it on the mainland's probably easier. Um, but it, it was just more of a commitment on my time. And I was pleased yeah. to have had the support of, a, of an advisor that, you know, allowed me the time to actually to do that study and, and, and get there and supported me in that decision. Yeah. So if somebody was embarking on the type of career that you've got in Canada, what's the kind of fundamentals they should think about in terms of maybe basic qualifications, experience? And how do they really get into the industry to start with? Because getting the experiences can be tough sometimes, can't it? to get started yeah it is i mean there's there's a whole set of courses run by the canadian securities um commission the csi and uh, it's it's not a cheap process it's an investment in yourself if you actually want to do it you know each course is in excess of a thousand dollars so you, wow. you've got to be committed and then you've got to sit exams on top of that and you only have so many attempts so you know you've, you've got to really want yeah. to do it it's a continual educational process you you, you keep going but there's a couple of basic ones that you actually have have to have and have in place. And if you can find somebody that can support you and, and help you if you've never been in that industry, if it's a mentor from somebody in the industry or if you're lucky enough to get a job with, with one of these companies and then and then work through. But, yeah, it's, it's an investment in yourself for sure. And if uh, somebody was looking for their first step on the, the rung of the ladder, would you approach financial institutions or would you be attached to, say, to a, uh, I don't know, a mortgage company or, you know, somebody who's selling houses like real estate? Do they have people that are bolted on that do the financial advice for them as well? It's all very different here from in the UK. In the mm. UK, certainly when I qualified, you used to sit your original exams and then you were licensed across the board for mortgages, That's life it. assurance and absolutely everything. It's not the same here in Canada. You have to become regulated for the investment side. If you want to be in insurance, you have to be regulated in the insurance side. Um, if you want to do mortgages, you have to do the mortgage exams. It's all very individual. 
Um, so to answer your question, I don't, I think if you could get in with like a bank or a, a credit union or, or somewhere like that and, and sit your exams while you're doing it, that would, that would be the best way forward. Otherwise it's quite an investment. It's quite an outlay to do it when you've not got anything lined up at the other end, but internships, you know, if you've got any summer time, you can do something in the summer to get familiar with it. Um, I know a lot of people that get into it now, they've got a degree in economics or politics or something like that. Though, believe it or not, both of those mesh quite well um, with the financial services industry because understanding what's going on in the economy and, and the world politically both has an Im impact on investment. So that's quite a good place to start as well. Okay, so just to sort of finally close, primarily what can you help people with, the expats, and what's the prime products that you can you can sort of help them on their way with in terms of leading them in the right direction? So with my licensing, I can actually help anybody that's got a, a pension in the UK, um, any investments that they've got in the UK. So if they've got inheritances that they've got that they haven't brought in, basically anything that's not registered. I can't do registered investments here in Canada. So RSPs, TFSAs, RESPs, anything like that, I can't help with. Um, I do have a, a colleague that I, is an advisor here in Canada who is fully licensed here, who's actually a Brit as well. He's also a client. So he's been through the process. He knows me, he's familiar with both sides. And I'm more than happy to connect anyone that reaches out to me with him as an advisor. If I can't help them with something, um, he can because he's he's licensed here in Canada. So I can act as quarterback. I can be everything. You know, I can I'll speak to anybody about anything. I don't discriminate on value. As long as you've got the time to talk to me, then I'll have a conversation with you and see if I can help. And if I can't, I'll point you in the right direction. Superb. Okay. Now, if people want to try and get a hold of you, what's the best way of them getting a hold of you? So I am on LinkedIn. Um, they can put my name into LinkedIn and I'll come up there. Finding the medium actually that works for clients is, is part of the battle. Some people love WhatsApp. It's really efficient. You can send things through it. Um, I quite like it. It's free. Well, that's true. Yeah. Which is good. Um, email works. Telephone works. Um, you can send a smoke signal if you want, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So can you just spell your name for everybody? So it's Vanessa Tai. How do you spell your last name again? So it's Tango Yankee Echo. T-Y-E, yes. Perfect, okay. And do you have a website at all that anybody can log into? Is there a kind of I don't have a specific website myself at the moment. That's something I'm actually looking towards doing. Everything kind of goes through the Chase Buchanan website, um, but people okay. do reach out to me specifically there. If you reach out and say, I've heard Vanessa Ty on a podcast, can you connect? That, uh, okay. that referral will come back to me. Um, so people have done that in the past. Okay. And if you've got an email address, that'd be great if you could just sort of say that to everybody so they can hear that. Okay. It's a bit of a mouthful because it's vanessa.ty at chasebuchanan.com. And Chase Buchanan is never very easy to spell. <laughs> so go ahead um, and spell it. <laughs> so, okay. It is. I'm actually going to even look at it as I'm reading it to you now. So I don't see that okay, either. No problems. Chase Buchanan is C-H-A-S-E. And then Buchanan is B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N. Perfect. So it's vanessa.ty at chasebuchanan.com. Thank you so much. That's great. Well, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you. I know we've been trying to plan this for a little while, but I really appreciate you giving me some, some time up today because it's been a real pleasure to get to know you and also to get your voice out there and to let other people know, especially expats who are looking to transfer pensions or even just to talk to you about pensions. That's the, the initial sort of stage. So one final question I always ask all my podcast interviewees, if you were 18 again, what would you tell yourself? I tell myself to save no matter how much 
how small it was an amount every month out of your paycheck into your pension because the money that's in the system the longest earns the most. So even if you were to put five pounds a week away into a pension and have it grow, um, you'll never get there even when you put 500 in when you're 60 to get to the same number. You just won't get there. So I do that. And it would also be to buy life insurance as soon as you can. Because again, a lot of people think with an employer, they've got benefits and then they up and leave and then they're not insurable for any reason. And I speak from experience from that as well. So um, that would be it. Other than that, it would be, you only get one shot at this. Don't waste it. <laughs> there you are. Couldn't said better than that. And I love that approach to life. Listen, it's been great pleasure, as I said earlier, and uh, I wish you, uh, you know, well and, I hope the business just keeps increasing as it, I'm sure it will. Because um, like I say, you've got a great approach to it. And I think what's nice about it is you're prepared to take people's hands and show them away. And that's... Absolutely. A lot of hand-holding in this job. <laughs> great. <laughs> Vanessa, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Take thank you, day. David. All right. All right. Take Cheers. care. Bye. You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week was Vanessa Tai your specialist expat pension advisor for Canada. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track with me, David Wilson, on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.